MSW Media. This week, the nation reacted to gun massacres in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio. Although the United States has far more mass shootings than any other nation on Earth, its gun laws are extremely lax. With Republican lawmakers unwilling to pass even the most basic common-sense gun laws, what can citizens do to move the needle on this important issue? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name's Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, the host of The Patty Vasquez Show, who joins us regularly on this podcast. Wow, Patty, uh, today I have to say our topic is pretty weighty. It is. Uh, it's startling how we've kind of gotten used to it, though. And and even more, I heard a mom talking about this at the park the other day, and she said, you know, I, I just never thought there'd be a day where I just am not even bothered by this as much as I was. I think that Sandy Hook broke a lot of people. You know, you thought that that was when thing, things were really going to change. And by broke, I mean our spirits. I think a lot of people just think, well, nothing's going to change. If that didn't make people change that didn't make legislators go oh we absolutely must do something to end this kind of senseless violence what hope is there yeah i i have to say um we have reached a point as as a country where we've had so many massacres so many mass shootings Uh, i don't um you know i I don't know what it will take uh, to produce real change you know at this point we're talking about things that are i would just say you know, very, very small potatoes. Um, the Right now there's a bill called uh, HB8 in the House uh, that was passed by the House of Representatives to require universal background checks before you purchase a, fire, a firearm. And how do you, what's the counter argument to that? And yet the Senate hasn't taken it up. I don't think there's a lot of hope for that to be passed. Um, and that's, that's just like nothing. I mean, that's just not really much. It, to me, that's just... Very common sense and not really much gun regulation at all. And and here we are in a country that um, has so many firearms, so many assault rifles, high you know high capacity magazines, all already out in the public. It's hard for me to see how this can change uh, soon. It's gonna. It, we're, we're literally talking about taking little steps. And you even used a word that I have. I have friends online people I've worked with because as a stand-up comic you have people that come from all different backgrounds and there's a comedian who's a libertarian who will put up these you know big bold letters about how if you use the word assault rifle in a sentence to have an argument with me about gun laws then you don't even know what you're talking about because there's no such thing well is that really going to get in the way of us being reasonable when it comes to gun safety yeah so what essentially they're reacting to is what they would, would say is look there are certain guns that have some features that are very similar to other guns, and we'll call one gun an assault rifle, not another. And I understand the point that they're making. What I would say, though, is I think we can all agree that there's some category of weapons that are so powerful 
and uh, are, that they they're essentially designed to inflict damage very quickly on human beings. Um, for example, the shooter in Dayton, Ohio, used a magazine that had a hundred bullets in it. What is the purpose for having a magazine with a hundred uh, rounds in it? The 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 purpose of that magazine is so you don't you can fire a hundred rounds rapidly without reloading, without pausing to reload. That's helpful if you're in Iraq uh, in a war, uh, sure. Um, but in the, in the context of civilian use, the purpose is really to be able to inflict casualties without having to pause and give them an opportunity to either run for cover or fight back. Um, and the, you can be for re- regulating the size of that magazine without, you know, and that is a meaningful distinction to make and a meaningful way to regulate firearms. I don't know if you've have the the heart or the ability to listen to any of it i i you know because i want to i guess having make, making comments on it uh being thoughtful about it i i there was a some audio of somebody who was in a car not far from and partly because i know the area very well uh throughout my career i've been in comedy for 25 years i've actually been in the oregon district there's a comedy club in the same building as ned peppers i know the people that work in that building uh there's a radio station there as well and uh, I just, you know, my heart stopped. Every time this happens, of course we do. Uh, you know, and I've in the past seen people contemplate the fact that they they were just there or they've been to that place. And, um, you know, it's it was uh, very sad for me. My, my friends actually said they had just been there 10 minutes before uh, the, the gunfire started. And um, it is uh, just an, an awful feeling to you know and I have performed many times in El Paso and I started thinking about um were there people in the audience that I made laugh one time and perhaps they're no longer with us and I love El Paso I've been there many times as well so it's uh it's very tough uh you know every single time our hearts break and I don't know that they'll ever get back put back together again as we continue on this path yeah I have to say um I am hopeful that there's starting to be a change in people's hearts uh, because you can't look at the data on this and not realize that there's a connection between our our lack of firearm regulation and the mass shootings we have in the United States. There's just simply no other nation on earth that has anything close to the amount of mass shootings and massacres we have. Which makes the president's comments and others like him saying that it's video games, that it's, you know, all these other, you know, uh, mental yeah, mental illness we know, but they're, you know, then, then that puts people of mental illness in a category not everyone acts out in ways that are similar every single person has that that sort of moment of you know what they're going to do next or how they harm themselves or others or if they you know that manifests in so many different ways but as america i mean you know you can't say that it's american culture that distinguishes us as to why we're so violent it's it's uh it's just insane it's just it's just an, an impossible situation to be in you know, when you look at the data, Japan and South Korea have higher video game usage than the United States, mm-hmm. and um, their rate of mass shootings is a very tiny fraction, very, very tiny fraction of ours, uh, when, and you can adjust per capita, and it, it does not change. And as video game popularity and usage has increased in the United States, mass shootings did not increase in, in at all in, in correlation with that. And, and as far as mental illness, I don't really think anyone's really going to suggest that the, the amount of mental illness in the United States far outstrips the rest of the world. There are mentally ill people all over 
the world. Uh, mental illness, just like physical illness, is just part of human existence. We all, it's, you know, being mentally ill is just, it's a type of illness that our bodies have. And um, people who are mentally ill in other countries are not using 100 round magazines and AR 15s to kill many, many people at one time. No, they're not. In your experience, I know that uh, this isn't necessarily uh, something, I mean, of course, every time this happens, I know that you put your legal experience to work and try to understand where legislators are coming from. And of course, every state is different as well. You know, people will point to Chicago. And and of course, we also had mass shooting over the weekend. And we have tragedies that strike the city. And people ask, well, why, why aren't we talking about that? We do talk about it in the city. There are people marching. There are people protesting. I, I guess there are so many differences when it comes to expectations of going to a Walmart and thinking that you're shopping. And, and sadly, in Chicago, we have this sort of knowledge that there are parts of the city that are dangerous, that are disenfranchised, that don't have access to social mobility or education. And, and it's a much more complicated story than Ivanka Trump or uh, President Trump. When they point to us, there's so much more going on here that uh, if they want to come and help us out with that. We would love to help the neighborhoods like Englewood and Austin Gage Park and areas. And Donald Trump has shown no willingness or interest in actually helping those communities. Because, frankly, his words and actions throughout his presidency have shown a disrespect towards the type of people who live in those communities. He's shown disrespect to racial minorities. He's shown disrespect uh, to people who don't, uh, unfortunately, you know, share his heritage. And I I think it's very hard for me to take seriously any desire to actually aid communities that are in need in Chicago. But I will say, and I will say, too, that... You know, her comments, Ivanka Trump's comments, were, were are hurtful to people in this city. And I think Mayor Lightfoot spoke out about this um, that in our in our city um, that of Chicago uh, are hurtful to people because, look, there are real problems in Chicago. There is very much um, uh, a, there's a kind of two cities problem where there are portions of the city that haven't traditionally received the support that they need uh, to deal with some of these systemic issues. And so having somebody who is does not know about the city and is not shown a, a real desire to, to do something tangible for the city in Ivanka Trump, using the city as a prop um, and could these communities who are in need if it's a prop is, is appalling. Yeah, I agree. Well, Patty, you know, I, we, as we talk in such a, a we have such a, ne- a kind of an, in a negative light about what's been happening. One positive thing that has been happening is um, people across this country, uh, particularly women who've been banding together to make a difference. And that is why I want to bring in our guest, Shannon Watts. She is the founder of Moms Demand Action. And if you have not heard of Moms Demand Action, you have had your head in the sand because uh, that is a, the organization that is making such a big difference on this issue across the country, bringing attention to the issue of, gun, of the need for, for a sensible gun regulation uh, and trying to inspire people like us uh, to do something about it. Welcome to the podcast, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I, I have to tell you, Shannon, I'm going to make a, a confession to you um, for I'm a lawyer. And especially after the Heller opinion came out, which is the opinion um, that where the Supreme Court said there was an individual right to own a handgun. I thought that pretty much the gun issue was one in which 
there there could not be any movement in hmm. my lifetime. I had really felt like this is an issue in which um, uh, the NRA and and their allies had really been victorious. And while I was, you know, had that opinion and was defeated internally in terms of where that issue could go, you are not. And you um, have made such a big impact on that issue. And so I I admire that. Well, I have a confession to make, and that is that I didn't know about that being such an impediment. And had I known, I might not have started Moms Demand Action. So I'm glad I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I think I, I'm glad too. I mean, you bring something very unique to this. And um, for people who don't know, um, can you explain? I think all of our listeners probably know about your organization. That's how impactful you are. But can you talk a little bit about what Moms Demand Action is? Sure. Yeah. So when the horrific Sandy Hook school shooting happened in 2012, I was like so many Americans devastated that first graders and educators could be slaughtered in the sanctity of an elementary school. But that quickly grew into anger. And I was seeing pundits and politicians on the TV saying that the solution was more guns and that if only teachers had been armed somehow, this never would have happened. And, you know, I didn't know anything about gun laws. I didn't know anything about really the statistics on gun violence, I didn't know anything about organizing. And I certainly knew nothing about the law. Um, But I knew our nation was broken. And I wanted to join something like Mothers Against Drunk Driving for gun safety because I was a teen growing up in the 80s and that organization was so influential for turning people who were endangering, purposely endangering their families um, into pariahs in society. So they had a lot of legislative and cultural wins. And there wasn't anything like that. So I naively started a Facebook page thinking it would just be a conversation. And because so many other, in particular mothers and women, had the same idea that day, it was like lightning lightning in a bottle. I mean, it has just grown exponentially. That's amazing. It's, 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 that's one thing that I think people do underestimate sometimes about the, the technology that we have and the way that we're interconnected. I know there's a lot of bad things we talk about them. I talk a lot about how, you know, there's bad actors who are trying to influence uh, people a certain way and pit people against each other. But um, your voice and the and the organization you created is remarkable and may not have been able to be created in quite the same way, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah, I always wonder how did Mothers Against Drunk Driving do it? How, did they call each other on their you know their rotary phone, or were they <laughs> mailing each other letters through snail mail, or driving to each other's houses? I mean, the technology that we have really has turbocharged our ability not just to organize but to put pressure on external forces. Yeah, one thing that I think um, is sort of a, a good starting point. You know, a lot of I will tell you, Shannon, at the end of every one of these uh, conversations that I have on this podcast, I always talk to people about, oh, what can you know, what can be our listeners do on this subject? And for you, that has been kind of the story of of what you're, you know, you have created here is um, a, a, a group of people and a kind of a pathway to doing something about it. And I'm wondering if we could talk maybe a little bit about what it is. In other words, at the end game, or we're not in the end game, but let's forget that, what that would look like. But let's just say in the next, you know, in the five and 10 up to, you know, upcoming years, what sort of gun regulations are the focus of your group and, and groups like it? 
everything that we do, and, and just to be clear, Moms Man Action is the grassroots army of an organization called Every Town for Gun Safety. Um, combined, we're the largest grassroots movement in this space, probably one of the largest grassroots movements in the country. And everything we do is bipartisan, and it's also, we work to be bipartisan, but it's certainly nonpartisan. And, and also, it's based on research and data. And when we look at laws that will save lives, we know that the foundational law, one of the most important things that's missing right now is a background check on every gun sale. So licensed sales have to have background checks. If you're a licensed dealer, you have to perform a background check. If you're an unlicensed dealer, for example, you're uh, selling guns at a gun show and you could sell just as many as regular licensed dealers do, or you're selling guns online and someone arranges in their state to meet and make that gun sale in person, those do not require background checks. And only 21 states have closed that loophole. So in 29 states, if you're a domestic abuser or a felon, um, you can easily go to these unlicensed dealers and, or unlicensed sellers and buy a gun without a background check. We know that would save innumerable lives. And in the states where these laws are passed, it keeps guns out of the hands of dangerous people. But on top of that, we've had a lot of success and, and data has shown that these laws also save lives with things like a red flag law. Uh, that's a, a law that allows family or police to petition a judge for a temporary restraining order to disarm someone who seems to be a danger to themselves or others. 17 states have passed them, 12 since the tragedy in Parkland, Florida, has a ton of bipartisan support, constitutionally sound and very effective for both suicide and homicide. Um, and then I would say the other major area we focused on is keeping guns away from domestic abusers. So in 28 states, we have passed laws that make abusers, convicted abusers, relinquish the guns they already own, as opposed to just not being able to buy guns in the future. Those are, I'd say, they all sound very reasonable to me. I suspect they're going to sound very reasonable to a lot of our listeners. What what are you? What is the opposition that you're getting to some of these ideas? What what do you? What what are, what are, are there actual arguments made to you, or is it all done behind the scenes? Well, the the gun lobby has gotten more and more extreme, particularly in the last decade, because the NRA is essentially pulled right, because each state has its own gun rights organization that is almost always to the right of the NRA. They believe any law whatsoever is an infringement on the Second Amendment. Where I live in Colorado, they're called the Rocky Mountain Gun Owners. And just like the Tea Party pulled the Republican Party to the right, that's really what these gun groups have done. And the NRA doesn't support, I mean, I, I've been doing this now for six and a half years. I can't think of a single piece of state legislation that was reasonable and effective that they have willingly supported. Um, they oppose disarming domestic abusers. They have opposed every single red flag law that's passed. They oppose background checks. And it's this idea of, first of all, slippery slope. We hear that a lot, right? So you pass any laws at all and suddenly you'll be confiscating my guns. But the argument for the gun lobby and gun manufacturers is clear. The more guns we have everywhere for anyone, anytime, no questions asked, the more money they make. I mean, that's the bottom line. One thing that I, you know, want to kind of clarify for people and help them understand is, you know, I mentioned this in the very beginning, this decision, Heller. It's a decision that did, happened not that long ago, and it had a very drastic impact. It moved Second Amendment law in a very specific, in a, in a uh, direction where 
um, now, as I mentioned earlier, there's an individual right to a handgun. And before that, you know, frankly, the, sec- the second, second Amendment case law was pretty permissive in terms of what gun regulation could be. But all of the things you mentioned under existing law would be valid. These really, they're, 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 what they're essentially saying is you can't um, do anything re- to regulate guns because if you do so, you know, the argument would be not that it's unconstitutional, but that maybe you'll do something else or more stringent in right. the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also, you know, the NRA has had a lot of money and a lot of power for a long time. And it they made lawmakers afraid, um, even Democrats, for, for a very long time and made them believe that if they voted against them, they would lose their jobs. And that is what we have spent the last six and a half years doing is building this grassroots movement that could have the same amount of political power and that we could show lawmakers when they do the right thing, we'll have their back. When they do the wrong thing, we'll have their jobs. It's really what the NRA did. We had to build a, a equal and opposing force that could go toe to toe with them, and that doesn't happen overnight. You know, so many people say, "Well, you know, they didn't do anything after Sandy Hook, so nothing will ever happen." And nothing could be further from the truth. They didn't do anything after Sandy Hook because there was no one demanding it be done. And if you look at the de- Democratic senators who voted against Mansion Toomey, and that was the bill right after the Sandy Hook tragedy that failed by a handful of votes. It would have closed the background check loophole. Uh, Not one of those Democratic senators still has their job. And that's because even though they voted with the NRA, the NRA then went in and invested in their opponents because they wanted Republicans in office. And it was a really valuable lesson to Democrats, which was with friends like the NRA, no one needs enemies. (laughs) Yeah, I, um, you know, one thing that was interesting uh, when I went back and looked is you know, one issue that is, that I have been very uh, interested in and focused on is the immunity law that um, mm-hmm. that was passed. That is, they gave gun manufacturers and gun dealers very broad immunity against uh, private lawsuits by victims. And so, you know, when people are harmed by uh, a car or, uh, you know, uh, some uh, food that they buy at the supermarket, they can bring a lawsuit in and uh, try to recover whatever damages they've received. But gun makers have this special law. And it was interesting for me to see a lot of Democrats uh, sided with Republicans to give gun makers and gun uh, dealers this special um, right, the special protection under federal law. And really, it's interesting, it's the most bipartisan that, that you know action we've seen uh, for some time, and it was to protect gun, the gun lobby, not to, to go against them. Well, and as you know, the gun lobby learned from the tobacco industry. And they saw that what was most crippling to them in the end was the ability to be sued over their products. And the NRA um, and and the gun manufacturers went into Congress and asked for this immunity and were given it. And and no other product maker has this kind of protection from liability. And that was something Hillary Clinton said if she were elected would be one of her priorities was to roll that protection back because it's, it's what is resulting in sort of their unfettered ability to do whatever they want in the marketplace. And um, I'm hopeful that that, that in the near future – will that protection will be removed yeah i um i i personally believe that that is the most practical thing that could move the needle in the short term in other words lawmakers seem unwilling to do much of anything but i don't see a good justification for giving 
um, th- this particular industry a shield from lawsuits. In other words, if you think that there's particular lawsuits that would be bad or abusive, you can rely on judges to screen those. Um, you don't need special law that makes it impossible for victims to go to court. Um, and if you could get rid of that, um, you know, like you mentioned, the, the example of tobacco, potentially you could have settlements uh, that could generate significant results. And they would be forced to look into safety technology. I mean, there would be all kinds of different benefits to removing that, removing that protection. Exactly. I mean, once companies have a financial incentive to ensure that mm-hmm. their products are safe, um, then they take action. Exactly. One thing I, w- I, w- I think is really interesting and, and might be helpful for people, Shannon, is to get a sense of sort of the, st- sort of the scope of of how our country is different than other countries around the world. Because one thing that I, I, you know, when I was taking a look at how many guns there were in the United States, it was really surprising to me that there's more guns than there are people in, there's more guns in civilian hands than there are people in the United States. And almost half of the guns in the world are in civilian hands are in the United States. Right. And about 3% of gun owners own a vast majority of those guns. They own about 17 guns apiece. And that's because the gun lobby has convinced them that they need an arsenal because it makes a lot of money for gun manufacturers when you think you need four or five AR-15s instead of one. Um, And obviously, having that many guns per capita and so few gun laws have given us a 25 times higher gun homicide rate than any other high-income country. You know, there are other countries that have a lot of guns in the hands of civilians, but they also have incredibly strong gun laws. And, and that is the crux of our problem. You know, one of the things uh, I've, I've heard from folks, in particular there's a question from one of our listeners, is that there are a lot of hunters and folks who live in rural areas who own guns and are pro-regulation, but they don't seem to be heard. Uh, you know, but it seems as though those who are more radical, you know, they're for the open carry mm-hmm. of AK-style weapons. Do you feel like the media isn't focusing on those who use guns for hunting or are for, you know, reasonable legislation not being heard at all? Well, it is definitely not a both sides polarizing issue, and it shouldn't be portrayed that way. You know, about 90 percent of Americans support stronger gun laws, about 80 percent of gun owners and only one in 10 belongs to the NRA. We don't even know really how many members the NRA has. <laughs> um, and they claim to have five million. But a Republican pollster, uh, Frank Luntz, did a poll of NRA members and found about 74% of them support stronger gun laws, like a background check on every gun sale. So a very uh, vocal, extreme gun extremist group has really been controlling our nation's gun laws now for a long time because there's been a silent majority. And I don't know if that's fear of polarization or other issues were just priorities, but I have definitely, we've started to see the the needle move on that. Um, CNN did a poll a little over a month ago, and it showed this is the third most important issue to Democratic voters going into 2020. And it really wasn't even on the radar before. So the fact that we have so much gun violence in this country is certainly bringing this issue to the forefront. We were having a longer national conversation about it than we really have ever in the past. And you're seeing the NRA's grip on on lawmakers weaken in part because so many support this, in part because of our grassroots movement, but also because the NRA is broke and they're under investigation and they're struggling internally. And so they don't they're sort of a paper tiger at this point. 
Yeah, that's a great point, and I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that because um, I'll, I'll, some of our listeners may have followed the story, but essentially, you know, the NRA has been under criminal investigation and other types of investigations because of you know Russian attempts to um, you know have connections with that organization. They've had internal problems, uh, and there's been allegations of fraud, and there's been some high-profile departures from the organization, like Oliver North, and so on. You know, if you can. Can you talk a little bit about what um, what impact that has had and what you've seen? Yeah, you know, we realized early on how insidious they had been, particularly in our state houses. Um, their agenda was sailing through state houses all over the country. And we wanted to sh- shine a spotlight really on how egregious their agenda was. And we've spent a long time doing that um, through our own legal team and through our own investigations and in relationship with reporters. Uh, And there are so many different steps along the way. For example, the NRA tried to put forward something called carry guard, and it was an insurance, um, mainly in stand your ground cases. So shooters could protect themselves uh, if they were accused of having acted wrongly in a shooting. And it even covered um, psychological and cleanup costs, which was bizarre. And some people called it murder insurance. And they really bet a lot of their future on this as, as part of the income they would have. And very quickly, it was found to um, be against state law um, in many places and, and was dismantled. And that's just one of the projects they've had that have been an issue. You mentioned Russia. We don't know where the $30 million came from that they gave Donald Trump in 2016 because of uh, the ability to spend dark money. And they also have been abusing their tax-exempt status, it appears, uh, whether it's hundreds of thousands of dollars in suits for Wayne LaPierre, private jet travel. Uh, We just found out he tried to buy a $6 million safe house on a golf course in Dallas. Um, These are not normal behaviors for a nonprofit organization. So they've really brought this on themselves, but we've certainly um, tried to help quicken the pace. There's no question that that uh, could have a very significant impact. For a long time, the NRA was considered an unbeatable organization. And um, there, there certainly, I think, the um, illusion that they've set up, you know, it's all, it reminds me a little bit of The Wizard of Oz where you have uh, kind of a, a, a booming uh, voice and then there's someone much smaller behind the curtain, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And, and especially now, you know, I'm, I'm reading these stories about all the calls that uh, Donald Trump is having with Wayne LaPierre. And, you know, no one has really left um, since the attempted coup on Wayne LaPierre at the annual meeting for the NRA recently. I mean, every single spokesperson and fellow lobbyist is gone. And so it's really just uh, Wayne over there trying desperately to convince the president that he still has power. Yeah, I thought that was really something. And I, I tweeted about that earlier today that, you know, there's these tragedies. What we've expected in the past is the president of the United States goes, consoles victims, makes a statement to the nation. And here we have Donald Trump on the phone with Wayne LaPierre. Uh, right. Yeah. The, the president can't find time to call the congresswoman from El Paso, but he can get on the phone. They said several times with Wayne LaPierre. Yeah. And uh, it just goes to show you the access and influence that the NRA has um, with Donald Trump. Uh, one thing I was curious about, anyone who goes in the, in the public, puts themselves out there publicly and takes a stand, has to endure a lot of criticism. 
you have to endure a lot of tough blows and sometimes even disturbing behavior or threats. And I'm just, I can only imagine what you've had to go through. All of the above. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine what you've had to go through. Cause I look, I go, I get, you know, threats and people saying bad things about me all the time, but I have the feeling it's nothing, not even 1% of what you have to deal with. And I can, I can only imagine what that is. So it what would, can you help people understand what yeah. that's like? Yeah. I mean, within hours, of putting my Facebook page up. And keep in mind, I had 75 Facebook friends, so I was not like a social media phenom. And I had all my public information out there because I never imagined I would be in the public eye. So immediately I started getting threats of death, threats of sexual violence to me, to my daughters. Uh, I started being doxxed. Eventually people started driving by my home. Um, I would get those kind of like Son of Sam letters where people cut out magazine letters and send paste them on a piece of paper. And eventually I started having to travel with security and use a pseudonym. Um, it has, I have to be honest, become a lot like white noise. It, in, in the first months and years, it was sometimes disconcerting, but I quickly realized that that was just meant to intimidate and to silence me. And I had made a choice that that wasn't going to happen, and I was willing to be the tip of the spear, at least for this organization. So I, I don't pay a ton of attention to it. Um, the most recent attack was when the NRA decided to start tagging me on social media a few days, interestingly, before Mother's Day this year. Uh, and, you know, the the attacks and threats started all over again. But, you know, I, there's so many volunteers who receive the same kind of vitriol and, and go to events and there are people open carrying and trying to silence and intimidate them. I just think it shows so much, it shines a spotlight for America on on just how extreme some people have become in that space. And it, it makes us fight harder and it also shows other people just the unfettered access and, and how dangerous it can be. How does your family cope? Because, you know, as a mom, that's got to be the heart. I mean, because you are doing something that's so important and your dedication is as evident in your voice. How does your how does your family cope? And, and because it's such a, a big responsibility for, for all of you. Yeah, you know, I so I have five kids. And when I started Moms to Be in Action, they ranged in age from elementary to college. Um, they're all adults now. But they never expressed fear. I mean, they were always very supportive. Um, and anybody who knows anything about teenagers, they don't really care what you're doing. Uh, and my husband was always very supportive. So I think had anyone in my family expressed genuine fear or uh, concern along the way, I would have had to take that into consideration and and really weigh whether it was worth the the mental toll on everyone but that was just never an issue for me it was always kind of like yeah do this this is this is amazing go um and and that's not the case for everybody right so right. everybody doesn't have to be the tip of the spear but they've been they've been wonderful well it sounds like you've done as great a job as a mom as you are for the re- fighting for the rest of us <laughs> so we thank you for that's- that very sweet. You'd have to ask my kids though. <laughs> of course, I'm going to say yes. Well, uh, yeah. Well, you also just, I mean, look, it takes a strong person to put themselves out there and not be stung by criticism or by threats. Um, I, I, you know, there's a lot of people who react 
to very you know small slights uh, online, <laughs> and I and and I know that you uh, you know you you sort of let that kind of fall over your shoulders a little bit and continue to to push forward, and that's that takes a lot of strength as a person. But you know, it also takes a lot of learning. I, I'm not sure that I had this thick of a skin when I started, and. And a lot of it is trial and tribulation and realizing what's worth getting engaged in and what's not, you know, certainly, you know, even it's not always coming from the opposition, even people, you know, on your, your side sometimes disagree. And so it's just, I think it's a lot of learning about what fights to engage in and, and when to stay silent. And uh, look, I have to be honest and say, I am so grateful for being a full-time volunteer and it is an honor to do this work every day. And it has been life changing for me. Um, I'm certainly a completely different person than I was. I hope a better person, you know, seven years ago. And look, if if people who have suffered horrific gun violence and have survived and and decided to turn that pain into activism, this is the least that I can do on, on my end. You know, um, kind of along those lines, one thing that you have done very recently, which is kind of another amazing thing, and I don't know how you have the time to do all of this, is you wrote a book called Fight Like a Mother, How a Grassroots Movement Took on the Gun Lobby and Why Women Will Change the World. Um, that's a, quite, a, quite an amazing title for a book. <laughs> um, and I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about what that's, that book is about? Yeah, you know, I get it was really three three reasons the first is um part memoir because i did want to talk about what what it had been like especially as a woman being the tip of the spear on this somewhat volatile issue and then part manual because i get asked all the time by people particularly women you know, how did you do this because i'm passionate about an issue but it's not necessarily gun violence or it is and i want to do this in my neighborhood or my community or my state and I wanted to make sure I remembered and, and got it all down on paper because, as we talked about earlier, you know, we pioneered a lot of different fronts, including activi- uh, being activists on social media. And the third was part manifesto, and given this weekend, that has not the greatest connotations, but I really wanted it to be a call to action for women to move from not only shaping policy, but to making it. Uh, because I have spent time in my state house, and I will tell you that they are not rocket scientists. <laughs> if you are a, a woman or a mom or an advocate, you have all the skills you need to become a lawmaker. What? And we, I love hearing that. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, I would not trust many of these lawmakers to get me a cup of coffee, let alone make the laws that protect my family. So given that 80% of lawmakers are men, it's just so important that we have a seat at the table because as the, the proverb goes, otherwise you're on the menu. Well, you know, uh, Patty just filed today to run for <laughs> Illinois state representative. I did. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. Yes. The, the That's Illinois, amazing. Thank you. I'm inspired by moms like you, especially that have been in this week uh, fighting. I was on the, on the fence and, uh, and I, I decided it was time. Get your gun sense candidate distinction and then we can, you know, just tweet about you and canvas for you and support you. Excellent. I love it. Um, let's talk a little bit about what our listeners can do. Okay. We have a, a lot of listeners who are, who want to make a difference, who care about a lot of issues. There's going to be some people listening who care about issues like this one. Can you, can you give people a sense that, you know, they don't all want to be the tip of the spear like you. Okay. But they want to do something and get involved. What is it like to, to be a member of moms to be, and what, what sort of stuff are our local folks doing in their chapters? 
Yeah, so we have a, a chapter in every single state, and then we have what we call local groups throughout the state in different cities. And we let volunteers decide what they're passionate about and what they want to work on. They can get involved in electoral work, which means that they are involved in state and federal elections, sometimes even local. They can get involved in legislative work so that when we are working to pass good bills, they might testify or work with lawmakers, and even when we're stopping bad bills, which we do quite a bit of. And also cultural work. We have a program called Be Smart, where we educate people about responsible gun storage, um, that kids should never be around guns that aren't locked, unloaded, and separate from ammunition. And, and that's a, a really important program that we partner with the PTA on. So it really it, it scans the waterfront in terms of what are the issues impacting our culture of gun violence. Um, and it's something that you can give a little bit of time to or a lot of time to, but it all makes a difference. Um, what you know are, are men able to join Moms Demand Action? Yes, that's a great question. Uh, we call ourselves Mothers and Others, just like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. We are women, mothers, non-moms, men, um, all caring Americans. Women do most of the leadership because, as we talked about, men <laughs> make most of the laws, <laughs> and so you know women do a lot in our organization, Soup to Nuts. It's not just sort of the the menial labor of activism, but also getting to set strategy and be in the spotlight. And there's nothing I love more than seeing men in Moms Demand Action shirts. Well, that's great. Uh, it seems, to, you know, one thing that I think a lot of people are have been learning over the last few years is that it can make a difference when you are, for example, uh, calling your local or potentially uh, picketing outside of your local uh, lawmaker's uh, office or if you are writing letters to your state legislator or things like that, you, you can make a difference. And certainly in our state, we've seen some changes like the, for example, we now have gun, gun dealer licensing in our state. Yes, that was a bill that took 15 years to pass. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and and it, it it and a lot of it was. Uh, it seemed to me a real turning point was a, a, a bunch of young people after the Parkland shooting who spoke out. I think inspiring a lot of people to do the same. Yeah, and and also the electoral work. We had to go mm-hmm. in there and get a governor that would pass it. I mean, we had passed the bill before, and yeah. the governor wouldn't sign it. So to get uh, the new gun sense governor in office, that was a lot of canvassing and electoral work um, and investment. And it paid off because, you know, he signed that bill pretty immediately. Yeah, he sure did. And really, it just goes to show that elections matter. So in in the year uh, that we have to go with a, a very important election coming up, Donald Trump versus a Democrat on the other side, um, there's a lot that all of us can be doing. Um, you're, you're counting out Bill Weld, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think he has a chance. I, I don't know. I'm gonna, yeah, it's, it's tough. It seems, one thing I've noticed, Shannon, it seems like the deck stacked in the other party. You know, I tr- agree. Yeah, I agree. they're literally making it where Weld can't run or the local party decides. What a, what a crack. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine? Um, well, look, what can, if, let's, if people are listening and they want to get more involved, where, the, where should they go and, and, and what can they do? So right now we are putting pressure on senators to act in the wake of these tragedies last weekend. And what they need to do is pass background checks and a strong red flag law. So if you text the word checks, C-H-E-C-K-S, to 64433, 
we will connect you with talking points to your senators. That's the first thing. The second thing is that if you join Moms Doing Action, then you can participate in all of the in-district meetings we'll be having with members of Congress during the month of August to continue putting pressure on them to do that, to act. Um, And we also have a lot of important elections coming up. Virginia, this year, every single seat in the General Assembly is up for election. Sandra's backyard is the origin for many crime guns in this country's iron pipeline. They have a governor who will sign good gun laws. They just need a legislature that will pass them. So that is going to be a very important election. We're looking at 2020 as well. So this Saturday, people can live stream a Gun Sense Forum we're having in Des Moines, Iowa. And that's the hashtag, Gun Sense Forum. Um, 15 presidential candidates were going to spend the entire day talking about this issue with all of them. And you can learn what their individual and innovative proposals are. And it just gives everyone a better viewpoint about who they think might be the best candidate for 2020. That's great. Well, and and obviously, if if people want to join Moms Demand Action, you go to moms, it's one word, momsdemandaction.org. Um, and the, and your book uh, is Fight Like a Mother. It's very easy to find. Yes, and the proceeds go to gun violence prevention organizations. Um, and the last thing I would say, if you want to, te- to join moms, the easiest way to do it is to text the word ACT to 64433. Wow, that is very easy. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Shannon. Really? It's been fantastic. Tremendous. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful to speak with both of you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic.